Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Well, we are continuing and starting to little by little wind down on our study that is based upon a book written by our very own apostle, Frederick Casey Price, titled The Mind, the Arena of Faith. Now, we've been having a lot of fun, actually, the last few times that we've been together, because we've been spending a lot of time talking about um, Adam and, of course, Eve, and all of the things involved with Adam and Eve. And, um, hmm, where we ended up, but you know what? Before we even go to where we ended up, I want to bring up a point that I think is going to be very valuable to all of us. Because, you know, we've been going through this thing with Adam and Eve. And, you know, then you'll have one person say, well, no, that couldn't have happened because Eve occurred then. And, you know, and it was starting to get to me because I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. This is not... I'm not discombobulated. Why is this? Here's why. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis, the first chapter. Genesis 1. And I'm going to share this out of the New King James Version, so we're definitely on the same page. There can be no translation confusion. Okay? So if we look at Genesis 1, 26 through 28, are you there? Yes. Okay. That's one person. <laughs> Uh, So is everybody else there? Okay, because I want you to see this. That's why I'm saying that. Okay, and it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Okay, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the point being is, this is what? Chapter 1. And is it telling us that God created Adam and that's it? It's saying that he created Adam and Eve. Well, he didn't say Eve. He said he created them. Them means more than one, correct? Okay. And he specifically says here that he created male and female. Because it says in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Which means this is giving us an indication that Eve must have been on the scene. But this happens to be the first chapter, correct? Okay, now turn to Genesis 2 which is the second chapter. And this is verse 21 through 23. And it says, are you there? And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Okay, so this is allowing us to see how Eve came on the scene. Now, this is Genesis 2. So if God created male and female, and we have no reason to believe that there was not another female, Eve was the first one, correct? He created her over in Genesis 1, but yet and still we're seeing where he created her in Genesis 2. 2, does it not follow 1? Okay, come on, that's not a hard question. I mean, really, I'll pray for you if you don't get that, okay? Two usually comes after one, correct? The point I'm making to you is, when you are studying the scripture, the Bible is not written chronologically. So you cannot look at the chapter and verse and say, this happened first, and take it as such. I gave um, some scriptures on Sunday when I was talking about Solomon, King Solomon, and I gave you scriptures out of First Chronicles, and then I gave you scriptures out of Kings. Kings comes before Chronicles. However, the interesting part was in Kings, we were reading what God did with Solomon. In Chronicles, it was talking about what God had promised him. It looked like it was in reverse because, again, the Bible is not written chronologically. It's not like a storybook. So when we're studying all this about Adam and Eve and anything else we're studying, that's why, again, it's so important to have the Holy Spirit who can allow you to rightly divide the word of truth because if you don't and you just you know aren't paying attention and you sit here and read a storybook in that form if you try to read it that way you're going to end up in a ditch because it's not that way you have to really break it down so that you can understand what you're reading everybody clear on that okay so this goes brings us back to our precious little Adam and Eve story okay because for me to keep for everybody to keep saying well no Eve came after uh-uh according to this Eve was there in Genesis 1 so hmm that that brings a whole different light to the subject so I just wanted to get that out there <laughs> Because I think that's very, very important. Because I was like, I'm, I, I know I'm not just totally, totally missing this. Now, it was asked of me last week in Genesis. So go, you're in Genesis. So let's look at Genesis 2 and drop down to verse 23. And this is after, of course, you know, this is the whole thing we just really basically read um, where God created Eve. And then Adam said in verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then verse 24 says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So the person had asked last week, who said verse 24? Was that Adam that was saying that? Or was that God that was saying that? And I had said originally, okay, it was God that was saying it. And then I said, well, you know what? I understand your point. Let me go back and I know how to find out. Well, I really didn't even have to dig. I just had to stop a minute and think about it. And then go through my 40 translations. Every single trans... Yeah, well, <laughs> that is a little different. But here's the point. Every single translation, if you look at it, in verse 23, it says, Then Adam said, quote... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. End of quote. So if it was still Adam speaking, 
then they wouldn't have ended the quote there. So we know verse 24 was not Adam speaking. But here's the other thing. It does not say God said. It just makes a statement. All throughout this chapter in Genesis 2, when God said something, it said that he said it. So therefore, it doesn't say that God said it. So my answer to that particular question is, is that this is just a statement. It does not mean that God said it and I could pretty much based on how this is written, 99.9% are like ivory soap. Okay, sure, that Adam did not say it or the quote would not have ended after that. Okay, so now my homework assignment's done. All right, so now we can pick up really kind of like where we left off. So turn with me to, is everybody with me so far? Y'all got real quiet. Okay, now we already know, because we talked about the fact last time that the enemy is, we know he comes at you with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. That should be something that, you know, you can almost write across your face because we've been talking about it so much. And we also know that when the enemy comes to you with these thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, they're going to be veiled or shrouded. They're not going to be so easily seen because if they were so easily seen, then, I mean, come on, he wouldn't be able to get over on you because we already know that that's his whole job. We spent time talking last time, and I'm just going to do super briefly because I want to move forward, about how when Jesus was in the wilderness with the enemy, that it was not the enemy physically being there with him one-on-one. And the reason why we can pretty much guarantee that as well is because if it was the enemy there one-on-one, Jesus would have known that, and he wouldn't have even been interested in thinking about anything that he had to say. So he wouldn't have even gone through saying it is written. He wouldn't have bothered because, he, you know, it was the enemy. But the point was, it was something that came to him as a thought. So therefore, it was tempting. He had been hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And I said, I mean, a lot of us can't make it through 40 minutes, 40 hours, you know, four hours, no less 40 days. So therefore, that's why it was considered a temptation. If you know that the enemy is coming at you with something, to do something different, and I use the example of a job, like say, for instance, you have a job working at the ABC company, and the ABC company is paying you, you know, $20 an hour and, you know, yeah, we could always all use more. I mean, let's face it. But say they're paying you $20 an hour and then the XYZ company comes along and they paint this wonderful picture and tell you how you're going to have the corner office and you're going to make $75 an hour. Come and work for us. You know, you wouldn't, if it's the enemy giving you that suggestion, you wouldn't even let it take up space in your mind because you know that's the enemy. He means me no good. Forget it. I'm going to stick with my $20 an hour at the ABC company. However, if he doesn't let you know that and he makes you think it's you coming up with that idea because that's the other little trick he plays on us where we think it's you know we're rationalizing it it's our idea we may go ahead and be tempted to go to the XYZ company because who wouldn't like $75 opposed to 20 that's how he works same thing he has not changed it's the exact same thing he did with Jesus it's the exact same thing he did with us and does with us on a continuous basis and the thing you always have to remember is we are not better than our Lord Would everybody agree with that? So therefore, if we're not better than him, if he did it to Jesus, what makes you think you can get over and he's not going to do it to you? You can count on he's going to do it to you. So we went through all of that. Then we looked at the last scripture that we left off with was Genesis 3. We talked about Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Briefly... 
I'll read it to you really briefly because I don't want to stay here, but I want to bring up this point because this was important. I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified. And in most Bibles, it's called the fall of man. And we're going to talk about that later too because I don't necessarily look at it as a fall because Adam knew what he was doing. When you fall, nobody sits up and says, oh, let me go walk to the closet and fall. You know, you usually trip over something, you do something that creates you to fall. You don't just go do it. But he did this. But anyway, I'm jumping ahead. I'm, oh, I'm really, Adam, I have a lot of conversation for him when I see him. But anyway, Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Amplified version says this. Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, said to the woman, can it be really that God has said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from from the trees of the garden except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said you shall not eat from it nor touch it otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman you certainly will not die. God knows that on the day you eat from it your eyes will be opened. That is you will have greater awareness and you will be like God knowing the difference between good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful she took some of its fruit and ate it and she also gave some to her husband with her and he ate and we asked last time we were together did God say it to Eve or did Adam say it to Eve and we discussed that a little bit and you know everybody gave different um, thoughts on it Um, and then we came to one part where we talked about how we believe that Eve heard this when she Because she, okay, back, I got to really take you back now. When God created man, he talks about how he also created, meaning the spirit was also there, his spirit was there when he created them. And the point was, here we go, Genesis 2, if you look at verses 7 through 9, if we look at it in the Amplified, starting with verse 7, then the Lord God formed, that is, created the body of man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, an individual complete in body and spirit. And the Lord, and then it goes on about how he planted the garden and all the rest of it. The point being is, we know that Eve came from where? Came from Adam. Adam was completed with body and spirit. So when God God gave the commandment to, now this is, I don't want to say a hypothesis, but this is another point of view, that when God breathed the breath of life into Adam, Eve technically could, she was somewhat present in the sense that Adam and Eve at first were one living being. If you really do further, you know, study they weren't, he wasn't referred to as Adam, he was really referred to as Adam because he was one creature that could do everything together. Then when they were separated, everything got separated. In other words, just like women are wired different than men, can everybody agree with that? Okay, well when that separation occurred, that's when a lot of things change. For instance, men are very single-minded. You know, they're stronger physically, but they're very single-minded. Don't give them two or three things to do, it's not gonna work, okay? Try it, I'm telling you, it's not gonna work. That, that, you know, I mean, I love my husband dearly. I give him a shopping list. 
Six things, this is not a lot, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Six things, okay? One more than one hand. Six things. This dear man has to call me after about three on the list. I'm like, okay, I've tried taking pictures. I mean, it can't be this hard. I'm just saying, the single-minded thing was I'm going to the store. Got that, okay? I'm going to bring this stuff home. Got that. But the details in between, it's just, it's, it can be overwhelming, I guess. So I wouldn't dare think about giving like a list of 20 things. Or so. Oh, no, whatever happened. But that's okay. That's just, I get that. That's how men are wired. It's their, their purpose, they're going to get it done. We, on the other hand, and here's a good example. Go with a man to a mall. Now, we don't do that that much because everything's online shopping. Take them to the mall with their wives. They must be in pain. And I could understand it, okay? Because women, we're gonna, we go in there, we say we're going to go in there to buy a pair of boots. Okay. Boots, come on. Oh, but we're going to go. We tell them, oh, come on, honey, park the car. We're just going to go get a pair of boots. Okay, and he's being so nice. He's going to go with us to get these boots, right? So we tell him we're going to whatever shoe store. But in the mall, you pass Macy's. Then you pass Lord and Taylor. Oh, but wait a minute, honey. They might have a sale. Okay, then you got to go in one store. This poor man, this is why you go to the mall. You see them all sitting somewhere in a chair. Okay, she's somewhere. I don't know. Because whereas them, you tell them a pair of boots, they're in and out in about 15 minutes. If they got to try them on, fine, they're in and out because they went to get the boots. So the point is, that's great. They're good that way. They're wonderful that way. We, on the other hand, we multitask. But it's good that we do because we also bear children. And you better learn how to multitask if you have children because they're going to give you so many things that you have to contend with. So God, in his infinite wisdom, when he separated the two, he knew exactly what he was doing. And he gave us, we're more emotional. We do speak more. We do a lot of things different. They do things different. But the wonderful thing is, they are not better than we, and we are not better than them. And when you put the two together, you have absolute perfection. So, I think it's a wonderful thing. But I do think that Eve did hear what the commandment was before she was taken from the rib. I do believe that. Now that's my belief. That's according to me. It's not written anywhere. So it's just my opinion. But I'm telling you it's my opinion. So don't throw tomatoes. It's just my opinion. And we know, you know, come on. <laughs> that's all that it is. But whether it is or whether it's not, it is what happened. So the thing is that Eve, because here's the other reason. Another question that we had another week was, why did God go specifically to Eve? And the thing I think of is, we, because we as women are so, we multitask and we think more than one way, that was an easier catch. He could fool her easier. Because notice, even in these verses we just read, what did Eve see? She sat up there and looked at the fact that it specifically says, when the women saw that the fruit, that the tree was good for food, Adam wouldn't have been thinking about that. God said, don't eat from this tree. End of 
different story. She's looking at, well, it's good for food. It's delightful to look at, like them extra stores with the boots. Okay, see what I'm saying? And the tree to be desired, and what's make one wise and insightful. She's doing a list of all of the reasons to eat the fruit. So it's easier to con her. So to me, I think that's why he went to her, because it was so much easier because of her emotional being and the fact that she's multitasking everything. Ladies, we multitask our thoughts because we multitask. So since we do it so well, we are prime candidates for the enemy to have a field day with us. Because when he gives us thoughts, ideas, and suggestions, if he gives a man a thought, idea, and a suggestion, he's just going to go one way with that thought, idea, and suggestion. He's not adding anything else to it. But we, on the other hand, we're going to take it, we're going to decorate it, we're going mean, to figure out all kinds of things to do with it, and that's how we can get in even more and more trouble as a result. Now, that's being authentic. I'm not bashing ladies. I am one. I, I know this is something we have to deal with, but on the other hand, once we get the word, we do the same thing, and we become stronger and greater as a result of it. So, you know, it's just one of those things that we have to realize and know and grow with. Now, as a result of what Precious Little Eve did, this is in Genesis 3. So, turn there, because this also explains a lot about what both male and female have to go through. Um, well, we shared this last time, but okay, I'll share it really quickly this time. Genesis 3, verses 9 through 16, and this is out of the Amplified. Um, and I'm not going to read all of it because that's just going to take too long. So I'm probably going to start with verse 14. This is when, well, okay, slow down. I'll start with verse 9. Okay. Genesis 3, starting with verse 9, out of the Amplified, it says, But the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten fruit from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled and deceived me and I ate from the forbidden tree. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, offspring, and her seed. He shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. In pain, you will give birth to children, yet your desire and longing will be for your husband, and he will rule with authority over you and be responsible for you. And I explained to you how I love that part about, yeah, okay, he's going to rule over us, but he is also responsible for us. So he may get to rule, but he he also has to take care of us. And I like that. Okay, so while you're there, just we're going to continue on with verse uh, 17. Then to Adam, the Lord God said, because you have listened attentively to the voice of your wife and have eaten fruit from the tree which 
I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it. The ground is now under a curse because of you. In sorrow and toil you shall eat the fruit of it all the days of your life. Now to me, I want to stop there because think about that. Before this happened, we wouldn't have to necessarily, if Adam wouldn't have done, if, if high treason wouldn't have been committed, God didn't intend for us to have to go work these jobs where we have to work 40 hours a week and we have to do all of this work. That wasn't what he intended. He just loved us and he just really wanted us to be in the Garden of Eden with everything taken care of. We could have just been remained as the royalty he intended us to be. But instead, because of wonderful little disobedient Adam, okay, we now have these 40-hour jobs and we have to do all of this extra work. Or at least that's how I interpret it. And I don't really appreciate it. But anyway, both thorns and thistles, starting with verse 18, it shall grow for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. But the sweat of your face, you will eat bread, by the sweat of your face rather, you will eat bread until you return to the ground for from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve, life, spring, life giver, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made tunics of animal skins for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And I just thought that was nice because he made tunics. Didn't say he made tops because tunics, as you know, are a little bit longer. So they cover all of those little intimate areas. I thought that was so nice. Anyway, I'm just, I mean, this is a I think of. So you're just getting into my head, which could be a little dangerous. But anyway, I just thought that was nice. Anyway, verse 22. And the Lord God, but you have to think of the word this way. If you read the word again as some mystical story, you can't relate it to the life that you're living in. And if you don't, it's not going to serve you well. So I mean, this may sound silly, but you know what? I don't care if it sounds silly. It works for me. But that's why I'm sharing it with you, because I want you to see how you can break down the details and apply it to the this life in which we live. Okay, so verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, knowing how to distinguish between good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life as well and eat its fruit and live in this fallen, sinful condition forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent Adam away from the Garden of Eden, to till and cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So God drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he permanently stationed the cherubim and the sword with the flashing blade, which turned round and round in every direction to protect and guard the way, entrance, access to the Tree of Life. Which to me... I just, I don't know why Adam did what he did, but whatever. So the point is, we have to be doers of the word, and obviously not hearers only. We already know that. Jesus, on the other hand, immediately whenever he dealt with the enemy, how did he counter him? He countered him by saying what? It is written, and that just ended the whole discussion. So that is something that we have to do. Something else that Jesus did, which was very clear and plain, is he's telling us exactly what the position is, of the enemy, 
uh, or I shouldn't say position, the character of the enemy. Turn with me to John's Gospel, the 8th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 37 through, 30, through 44. Because again, remember I have been sharing with you, it's so important that we understand every part of the enemy that we can, everything about him, because it will make it a lot easier for us to keep him at bay if we understand things about him. Um, so, if we look at John's Gospel, we're going to look at the 8th chapter, verses 37 through 44. I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified. Now, to set this up a little bit, this is when Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. You know, all these precious little Jewish people who are sitting up and, you know, they are kind of like discounting him because they're Jewish and they believe that, you know, we're the sons of Abraham and, you know, you're just Jesus, no big deal. So this is uh, his account with them. This is his conversation with them. So picking it up at verse 37, are you there? Okay, it says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you plan to kill me. Because my word has no place to grow in you, and it makes no change in your heart. I tell the things that I have seen at my father's side, in his very presence. So you also do the things that you heard from, my fa- from your father. Then answered, Abraham is our father. They answered, rather. They answered, Abraham is our father. Because again, they're, you know, touting how great they are. Jesus said to them, If you are truly Abraham's children, then do the works of Abraham and follow his example. But as it is, you want to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This is not the way Abraham acted. You are doing the works of your own father. They said to him, we are not illegitimate children. We have one spiritual father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, but he is not, you would love and recognize me. For I came from God out of his very presence and have arrived here. For I have not even come on my own initiative as self-appointed, but he is the one who sent me. Why do you misunderstand what I am saying? It is because your spiritual ears are deaf and you are unable to hear the truth of my word. You are of your father, the devil, and it is your will to practice the desires which are characteristic of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks what is natural to him, for he is a liar and the father of lies and half-truths. And if that wasn't enough for him, for them, drop on down to verse 58. And in the King James, it says, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the Amplified says, Jesus replied, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And then the message says, believe me, said Jesus, I am who I am long before Abraham was anything. I love that. So that should make it extremely clear because, you know, we do still have some people who just think that, well, you know, the enemy, the devil, they're still very unclear. 
just share that with them. Or if you ever have any kind of thoughts, share that with yourself. Remind yourself of that, those verses of scripture because it's letting you know very clearly that that's the devil's game. The devil's game is he is a liar, period. So when you are sitting and you're trying to figure out how you need to get more money in your hand, you have to just remind yourself, don't be concerned. Don't let yourself even get worked up over it. Don't lose an ounce of sleep because you are part of the beloved so you are guaranteed sweet sleep if you just receive it, okay? Because the bottom line is the devil is a liar. Every single thing you have need of has already been met. You just have to believe it. You just have to receive it because that's the devil's game. That's who he is. Just like there's this wonderful quote from Maya Angelou that I always uh, remember and I deal with people a lot and remember this. When a person shows you who they are, believe them. So the enemy has shown us who he is. I believe him. I don't have any question about it at all. That's his character. Plain and simple, he's a liar. And if he is a liar, as Jesus said, then only a fool would listen to him. Any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions that would come into our minds that are contrary to anything in the word of God means we are listening to the devil. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how attractive whatever the thought, idea, and suggestion may seem or be. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, reject it. Do not receive it. Now, we do have some single people here. And we have some single people here who are over 16, okay? When you're 16, you know, come on. There's a certain way that you think. But then you get a little bit more mature. You think a little bit differently. However, that does not mean that the enemy still does not give you thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that can get you in a world of trouble. Be advised, especially for our kingdom warriors, which is what I like to call the men here at Crenshaw, God knows that men, another uh, characteristic of men is they're very visual, okay? They, you know, they can look at somebody, you know, and think she is the most beautiful thing in the world. Now, she might be the most rotten, corrupt seed ever to be born, but she looks good. So they're going to just, woo, you know, they're all after that. But, you know, women, you know, we can get caught up sometimes too, which is why I've never understood. Well, whatever. Sometimes people will see these, these men and dress them up in their minds and think they are the greatest princes ever to be born when they're just a frog. And, you know, and they just don't, don't get it because they've never looked inside. But anyway, here's the point. Especially for our kingdom warriors, you may see a wonderful woman and, you know, she's going to look good and that's appealing to you. Obviously, if the enemy is trying to tempt you, he's not going to tempt you with somebody you don't even think is somewhat attractive. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't, you'd pass him by, okay? So, I mean, understand that. He's going to attract you with somebody so he can trap you to try to be able to get your attention. And that goes for male or female. You know, we got to be on guard. Singles, you really have to be on guard. Married people, for those marrieds who are not... Uh, mature in their relationship or more importantly mature in their walk with God and with the word being the final authority in their lives because just because you are married doesn't mean you died okay so you can sit and you can look at people outside of your marriage and get yourself into a lot of trouble that way too the point being is don't 
get suckered by that. Understand that you need to look for something deeper. And the thing that I say to men, because I have two sons, so, I mean, you know, I do, and I had two brothers, and I have a husband, so it's not like I don't know anything about men. But the point is, what I always said to my sons, is when you are looking for a mate, Look for someone whose heart is so hidden in God that you've got to find him before you can even talk to her. You've got to seek him before, because if you're just looking at her, it's a lot of trappings, okay? And people will talk about that. There was this one show. Anyway, I will digress, but this was funny. This one particular show on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where... The guy is dating this person. He's getting ready to get married to her or whatever. And then all of a sudden on the wedding night, she takes off her fingernails. She takes off her eyelashes. She takes off her hair. She takes off the fake little Fredericks of Hollywood butt. All of this stuff comes off. And he sees that. Oh, my gosh. Okay, he thought he was getting Jessica Rabbit or something. He ended up getting something totally different. That's the point. That's not what you want to do. You really need to seek the person's heart, you know. And for men, I know it's, you know, it's kind of hard. But you know what it's not? It's hard for ladies, too, because we really want somebody who loves God, who can really take care of us. So it's, you know, I would say it's tough on both ends, but not really. Because if you truly make your petition known unto God and you pray, God will give you exactly who it is that you need. I prayed for my husband. I started praying for him at six years old. Because my mother was very, very ill, and we did not have the word of faith at all. And all I kept hearing was how she was going to die any minute. I mean, that's really all I kept hearing from the doctors. And I knew that my mother loved me more than anyone other than God. And she was here. She was real to me. And I knew she loved me. And I kept thinking, if she's not here, oh my goodness, I want somebody to love me as much as she does. And I started praying at six years old, Lord, please, because back in my generation, that's kind of like what you did. You wanted to, you know, grow up, get married, have a family. That's really what they, you know, that's what we were kind of taught to do and we were being groomed to do. But I wanted a husband that was going to cherish me and treasure me. I started making those petitions at six years old. Now, for some people, my husband might be horrible for them because they might just go, oh no, I couldn't deal with him for a second. But for me, he's absolutely perfect because he honors me, he treasures me, he cherishes me, and I know that. So you know what? God answers prayer. <laughs> so, so all I'm saying is that's all you have to do. Pray. You might not be six, but that's okay. You have the Holy Spirit. I didn't have that at six years old. I wasn't even born again at six years old. But he honored my heart. So all I'm saying is you're born again, spirit filled. Take some time every day out of your life if you really want to find that perfect mate and make your petition known unto God. He will give you what it is that you asked for because he promised you he would. Because he said he would give you the desires of your heart as long as you're delighting yourself in him. So take him at his word and go on and get that person that's the perfect mate for you. Praise God. Now, the thing is, we have to realize in dealing with the enemy, because it's something that all of us have to deal with, is that it's not a part-time or summer job. 
And sometimes that's how Christians take it. Like, okay, I'm going to really be on this for the next month and a half. And then you fall off. You know, I don't know what, what, why, but we just tend to do that. It's a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year job. It's all the time because our minds, what, are constantly being influenced and flooded with all kinds of stimulus from every direction. So we have to make sure we're staying on our game. But here's the interesting thing, and I don't think we always think of this either. The Spirit of God will also give you thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. They're not just thoughts and ideas and suggestions coming from the enemy alone. The Spirit of God will do that also. But here's the interesting point. You have to be able to discern the difference. And in order for you to discern the difference, you also have to know what the word says. If you don't have any reference of it, other than whatever you get when you come to a Bible study or whatever somebody says, you know, out of a pulpit, wherever you, you know, if you're here or wherever you go, that's just not good enough. You know, um give you an example. One of the things that, well, the thing that got me to truly turn my whole life around and listen to the apostle years, well, 30, like, oh my gosh, almost 40 years ago, was I was flipping for the, through the channels. He came on and he was talking about the story about when his little boy got hit by the car and he was saying how the last enemy to be destroyed was death. I was like, what? I had never heard that before. Now, I lived in church. I mean, I was in church. Granted, you know, you've heard my story. It wasn't where they were teaching the word, but I was still there. I loved God. But no one ever told me that death was an enemy. I really believe what the pastor stood up there saying, talking about they needed another flower in the garden of heaven and all the rest of this, and what the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I believe what they said, and I was angry with God. And I, I don't have to be funny about that. God knew because I let him know. I was not happy with him because I could not understand how could you take my mother? How could you take anybody's mothers when they have little kids? I had a little sister. I was 15. My sister was 10. You, had, you couldn't find another flower from somewhere else? I mean, I was not a happy camper. But the point that I'm making to you is I didn't know. So because I didn't know, the enemy could send me on that. He could sit on my shoulder with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions all the time. Because even though the Holy Spirit may have been trying to tell me something different, I would have known because I didn't know it was in the Bible. The point being is that's the same thing that happens to Christians all the time. You have to open up the book and read it. See what's in there. I was so amazed one day when I found out that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth and the fullness thereof belong to him. The Bible is a love letter. But if you read it as such, if you're reading it as a reward system like, okay, I know if I sit down here and I do a chapter a day, or you know those things that they have, read through the Bible in a year, you know, and I'm not knocking that if that's what you want to do, praise the Lord, but I would rather see you, and I'm sure God would rather see you, take a chapter and read it and understand it and get understanding out of it and apply it to your life. And if that's all you do for the whole six months to a year, praise God. And for all those little people who sat up there and oh, they did all my homework, I read every da 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 da, and find out that they're not applying it to their lives. They're broke, they're disgusted, they need healing, everything is a wreck in their life, but they read the whole Bible in a year. I mean, come on, that's not what this is about. That's why you guys are here 
now because we are doing what with this word? We're dissecting it. We're taking it apart. We're not just sitting here reading it like, oh, this is a nice subject matter. We're just going to talk about this. Praise the Lord. No. Time for that is over. We have really got to understand what this word is saying so that we can totally apply it to our lives. Would you agree with that? Amen. Okay. Praise God. So now... Since we know, of course, we've got to know the difference, let's also take into effect, turn with me to Revelation. Because the book of Revelation offers something that's a very interesting passage that further reveals how the operation of our enemy is when it comes to to thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. So if we look at Revelation 12 and verse 9, and I'm going to share it out of the New International Version. Because this is different. It says, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. If we look at it in the Amplified, it says, and the great dragon was thrown down. The age-old serpent who is called the devil and Satan. He who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world. Notice it says entire. There's nothing left out of that. He has thrown down, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So this is also letting us or reminding us that Satan also has angels. Okay, all the angels are not the cute little people with little wings that we see on Valentine's Day. You know, they're not all that way. He's got some demons, his angels, that are helping him do all the destructive, deceptive, lying things that he does. So we need to understand that too. Because that's his whole job, to deceive the entire world. And notice in these verses that we just read, he didn't start saying, well, he just deceives Caucasian people. Or he just deceives African-American people, or African people, or Native American people, or Chinese. There is no, you know, there, there is no, um, what's the word I'm thinking? He's not separating anybody out, okay? He specifically says the entire inhabited world as we know it, okay? That's who he is attacking. So that includes all of us. Well, we know that he deceives the whole world. Well, what's the point? What is deception? If we really stop to break that down. Clear and simple, it's a lie. Why does anyone tell a lie? What is the purpose of a lie? It's to deceive and trick someone into thinking one thing when it's really another thing all together. For instance, I don't know why this is coming to me, but Walmart, <laughs> I have nothing against Walmart, thinks a great store, okay? So it could be another store, but Walmart happened to pop into my mind. During Thanksgiving, Black Friday, where they now have everybody trained to go out and go shopping then, okay. So they will sit up and tell you, you can come in and get a 65-inch color TV, you know, 3D, every possible thing, and you can get it for $2.99. Okay, and people will stand in line all night long trying to get this stupid TV for $2.99. They didn't bother to tell you that they have it in Walmart's system of whatever, 1,500 stores in the area, and every store didn't get one. They don't tell you all that. They just put that little blurb out to get you to go stand there in line so that you can then go in and buy whatever it is. But why did they tell you that? They told you that to get you to the store. They didn't care if you got the TV or not, but if you stood online all night and then you got in, the TV wasn't there, 
they kind of figured you're going to buy something else. And if you're a female with how we think, they knew we were going to buy something else because we got a whole list of all the stuff we need to get. Okay? So they told the lie, but they did it because they wanted us to think something different to get us in there. It's sort of like bait, you know? If you're trying to catch fish, now I'm not a fisher, fisher person or whatever, fisherman, fisherwoman, but my kids fish a little bit. You don't take something horrible to put in the water for the fish. You take something that they want to eat so that they bite the hook. I mean, come on. It's just, it, it makes sense. So, we already know when we're dealing with him, he is totally, totally, his whole mission is to deceive us. Now, the word deceit means to cause us to think on things that are what? Not true. Now, here's something we can break down and think about. One, you thought it was true, meaning when he comes at you with this thought, idea, and suggestion. Two, but it really wasn't, you figured out. Three, but the purpose of it was to make you think it was true. Why? In order to get you to think on things that are not true. That's why I like, and therein lies the total entrapment. That's why I like the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real because he will make you believe just like people who won't go on this cruise in August because I don't want to be on a boat all of this water okay what do you think the, the water's there whether you go on the boat or not what do you think the water is going to do to you I mean really it's false evidence appearing real do you think you are going to be so special that you get on this cruise boat which is a ship that's huge, okay? You're going to get on this huge ship that if someone were to look at you, you look like a little spot of pepper or something because that's just how little on this huge ship. Do you think the water is all of a sudden just going to go, oh, there you are, and woo, just come and just swallow you up? That's just fear that he's giving you that thought, idea, and suggestion to keep you from doing what you know is good and wonderful, where you could go with your family and just put your feet up and relax. False evidence appearing real. But ultimately, that is his goal. Now, if we look in, oh my. Okay, I'm going to give you this one thing, and I guess that's going to be the end of it. Um, if you look in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, which I'm sure everybody has that sitting at home, um, it tells you that the word deceive means to roam from safety, truth, or virtue, to go astray, deceive, err, deduce, seduce, wander, be out of the way. That's the whole point. He wants us to totally be off track. And his whole goal is to deceive us. Now, when we come back next week, which I really thought we were going to do today, I was real excited about it. We're going to get to it next week. We have to. I have to talk to you about the master key. Because with all of this that we studied so far, there's a master key to our victory. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. 
If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.